Welcome to Looking for the Ocean, where we watch everything Pixar has ever made and talk about what it means to us. I'm Mark Young, and with us, as always, is Danny Vincent. Danny, Danny Vincent. You, yes, you tell me you can't hear the music playing outside of my window right now. Yeah, I That's can't good. hear the music. Quote. Then we are ready to record, and we are ready to talk about two very special shorts. And what are they, Danny? 50th episode! Is it our 50th episode? Yes. Great. Okay. Oh, I, I don't know why our next episode is the special one when it's the Bro, 51st episode. Are you joking? Are you messing with me? What do you L- mean? Literally, last week I asked you, hey, should we do our special episode for the 50th, or should we do it for our year anniversary? You're like, let's do the year anniversary. The 50th is just the 50th. And now you're like, why don't we do it for this one? Why don't we do it for the 50th? No, not for this one. I mean, it's not a year anniversary if it's the 50s. It's not the 52nd episode. That's not how weeks work. Okay. There are 52 weeks in a year. But we took a week off once. So really, we're looking at the 51th episode. Oh, okay. Well, okay, great. Did you actually think that, or were you just kind of, like, thinking that it was 51? Well, I just know when we launched the show, so it's like... Because we launched it, I think, last week of May. This is the second last week of May. This episode's coming out, so... There you go. It's not our anniversary yet. We'll celebrate our anniversary next week. It will be soon. But this week, on our 50th episode, we're talking about two classic short films for Pixar. Of course, referring to Unidentified Flying Major... (laughs) And Day and Night. Yes. I am glad that we're talking about Day and Night. I'm less thrilled that we're talking about Unidentified Flying Mater, but here we are. Do you want to talk about why we're talking about these two shorts at the same time? Well, Unidentified Flying Mater, of course, is the 2009 release from Cars 2. Day and Night is the short film that released with Toy Story 3. Which came out in summer 2010. You might be like, wow, we must be pretty close to Toy Story. And you're right, we are pretty close, but we are not there yet. Toy Story 3. This short played in front of Toy Story 3. I'm really surprised about that because I did want you to share that fact. Because I thought this was a much earlier short. Because of how large it looms in my memory of Pixar shorts. I thought this happened way sooner. But then you actually watch it. And you see how technically advanced everything is, and then you're like, oh man, they, there's no way they could have done this earlier. So, yep. it makes sense, and it doesn't make sense. This is also about the time that I, I stopped actively watching Pixar movies in the theaters. I think that ends for me after Toy Story 3. So, maybe that's another reason this is such a big part of my memory of the shorts. Well, what's special about Toy Story 3 and Day and Night is that... They're very. It's a very important short film that, if you look at the overall Pixar timeline, is directly preceded by a major short. <laughs> yeah. Wait, wait, you don't want to talk about Mater? You don't like Mater? What's wrong with Mater? Oh, You're no, always just, here defending my boy. Yeah, I'm here defending our boy. I just think I'm kind of getting sick of the joke being it's cars. You know, <laughs> you've got a lot more of them to get through. <laughs> we, yeah. We're only on That's, short four. <laughs> that was my take Five about of them. this particular Mater short. So, Unidentified Flying Mater is, I guess we'll start with Unidentified Flying Mater. Unless you have something you just absolutely want to share about Day and Night right off the bat. Not yet. We can talk about Mater first. I feel like Mater's right. going to we'll be... We'll talk what about we... Unidentified well, Flying I think, Mater. I think, I'll be honest. I think we should just do Mater. Get out of the way, because I think Day and Night does give more to talk about. But we got to give, okay. give Mater his due. Because we haven't talked about that guy Mater. at all. Mater meets a UFO come down from space, and they have some adventures. Then the UFO gets kidnapped and taken to some kind of Area 51 situation. Then they break out because Mater has learned how to fly, so he's able to infiltrate the base, and then they're able to escape. And then they're picked up by the UFO's mother. The mothership. Yes. And then it saves the both of them, and then it drops them off at the end, and that's pretty much it. Uh, you Some forgot highlights something. of the episode you forgot include something. Lightning you forgot McQueen. Lightning was there, too! There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and... That Mater does a German accent because of all the German doctors that are examining the UFO. 
and I thought that was kind of all right. I was kind of going through this being like, what what's a joke that I've like not seen before in this short? It's got into the pun. What pun? Take me to your leader. Okay. Cut to leaders of cans. Yeah, but that's so obvious. I feel like that just kind of exists in the collective subconscious about cars. Anyone who's watched cars has like had that occur to them. I really want these cars and movies to acknowledge what it feels like to be inside of another vehicle. Maybe the planes movies do address this. Cause I do know in cars too, they do fly a plane somewhere and they all ride inside of the plane. So maybe the planes movies do finally address what it's like to have like a car inside of you if you are a bigger vehicle. Yeah, well, a later Mater short, which maybe you haven't seen, addresses that when he goes to space. He's inside the shuttle, and the shuttle has a personality. Oh, I don't know if I'm, I don't think I've gotten to that one yet. I mean, I, I think I've seen it, because I remember my letterbox review for that one. Um, yeah. But I, I don't remember, remember my thoughts on it. Yeah, I just watched it because after we did the first, like, two or whatever, I was like, let's see what's going on here. And then I just went through them all, and yeah, it was whatever. But, yeah, they do kind of talk about it. It's basically, like, passenger pilot dynamic more than inside of another car. So, yeah. And, of course, we've seen... It's interesting because all of... it, it You can get away with that pretty cleanly because it's like, oh, the shuttle is the pilot, and that boat that's in Mater in Chinatown or whatever that noir is called is like the henchman of the bad guys tokyo meter no in no what no when he's the detective oh okay you said okay my bad no i wouldn't have (laughs) i was offended for a second i'm sorry (laughs) no when there are actual references to chinatown i've never seen the mater is a detective short i've never seen chinatown I can't believe you, like, didn't call me on that. You just kind of let it slide. Like, it's not even something that you thought, oh, I'll call him on this bigotry, and then we can cut it out. (laughs) You were just like, well, this is who Mark is now. (laughs) So, we just have to go with that. Keep it dramatic. (laughs) Um, I just think that's the joke that's missing here, right? That would make this short really funny. If when the mothership came around... Mater was like, thank you. And Lightning was like, oh my god, she's eating us! Ah! Mm-hmm. That would be good. That would be a better joke. I and it would also have been a foreshadowing surprising. for Nope. Yeah, there, there is some nice foreshadowing for Nope. I was actually not super familiar with the trope of aliens hiding inside of clouds for... Spoiler alert for Nope, when that happens in Nope. But I guess it makes a lot of sense i don't even think that happens in like close encounters of the third kind because they're just kind of like always around i did have a thought with this specifically us watching this like right after we watched up where it's interesting the trope of you know scientists want to destroy animals is very interesting to me that this keeps recurring because in up it's like initially you know months is like a scientist he wants to prove stuff about the animals but then he comes crazy he just wants to like you know take heaven and here it's like oh no the aliens kidnapped this person and was talking to him i don't know am i supposed to have empathy for aliens yeah even this one who just sure, copies mater i don't know he yeah. seems like a jerk why does he seem like a jerk because he, he doesn't seem like a jerk he only repeats things mater says he doesn't have any original thoughts of his own hmm I think is this really the point? Character. Is this really the stance I should take this episode? Is arguing against the rights of alien creatures? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that he's he's sympathetic for copying Mater. I don't think he's a jerk. On a scale of 1 to 10, how tall is this? What? As a tall oh, tail. Um, I would, uh, I'm going to say like 6. Okay, I don't yeah. really have a lot to talk about. <laughs> what, what, you don't even have a number? What do you, oh, what was your number? Oh, I was gonna save it for what I give it at the end. But I can just say it now. I wasn't gonna give it a number. I was gonna give it a person. Because how tall oh. is? Should I just save it for later? Oh, what you said on a scale of one to ten? Yeah, Fine, I, mean, I give it an eight it for later. Just, okay. 
Actually, just kidding. I, I think give that's it a four. interesting. You gave it an eight because I, give it a four. I think that. Give it a oh, four. Yeah. Sorry. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think it, it gets a lower number. I mean, it gets a higher number because it's like more fantastical, but it gets a lower number because everything can be like hidden from other characters. So only Fillmore knows about this or whoever. So I think that lowers the tallness. I, I also think, think something that like lightning being hmm? forced into it is very forced. Yeah. He doesn't really do anything. Yeah, uh, I I don't know. I think that's again. I argue that that is the best way to incorporate lightning into the stories when he becomes like the butt of a joke because. But he, he wasn't is... a butt of a joke. Sorry, go on. Sorry, I'll let you make your point. Well, not I. I would argue that he is because he's being chased by the government just in the same way the others are. This is the same way that he was introduced to Mater the Greater when he. When normally you'd think it would be Mater going down the ramp, and now it's Lightning going down the ramp. It's the same kind of setup for Lightning is suddenly in peril. I definitely agree that it's not on the level of Tokyo Mater where he, like, does things. But I, I think this is the more appropriate use of Lightning in these situations. That's fair. Do you want to know what my letterbox review for Unidentified Flying Mater was? Sure. All right. The grade at the time was a 1.5 out of 5. It's only wow. 10 likes, so it wasn't that popular. As uh, oh, I was going to say, what comments are on here? And it's like, oh, it's just me being goofy. Um, But the review is just, welcome to Earth, Tomater. Because it's the line right. from Independence Day. Gotcha. Yeah. I kind of, I wish that it ripped off more sci-fi things, because it kind of did, but it didn't make so many express references to popular culture. I missed that aspect of it. Um, but yeah, thank you for providing that, though. Dang. Yeah, no problem. It's interesting that your star review is basically exactly the same as your tallness review. Yeah, it's pretty close. A bit more tall, though, than it is good. Yeah. Do you wonder what I did yesterday? Was it about Mater? No. Okay. Do you want to know? Yeah, sure. I went to see the Batman in concert, and I'm mad about it still. The Matt Reeves Batman? Yes. Because, mm. okay. you know, the guillotine score, the boom, 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 boom. Oh, okay. I was mad. Because... Why? You're... Well, I don't think you have. You've never been to one of these movies in concert, right? I went to a Star Wars concert once, but I don't think it was a full movie. Yeah, to me, so I've seen, this is my fourth one. I've done Coco, Get Out, and Amadeus. And to me, the payoff to every one of these shows always for the orchestra, like, just the orchestra in general, is the credits. Because then you get, like, a solid ten minute just thing where everyone is definitely just listening to you. And I got really mad because they didn't play the credits. They like didn't they sh- play the credits at they, all? No, no, no. Uh, you know, the, you've seen the Batman, right? Yeah. So it's like that crescendo as Batman and Catwoman are driving off in the sunset. And then, you know, they do the end of the track. And then it cuts to, like, the logo for the Batman in concert. And then all the orchestra do their bows and they just play the credits, like, audio. And, I, and like, you know what I mean? Like, they play the credits on the screen after where everyone's leaving. And it's just, it got me really mad because I was like... They should have told me this when I bought my ticket, because to me, that is, like, I don't want to say, like, it's the only reason to go to these things, but it's the point of the thing where you actually get to, like, appreciate the orchestra, is when you listen to the credits mm-hmm. track. Because, like, I have tickets yeah. to see Force Awakens in summer, and if they don't play the credits of that, I will be, I'll be so upset. That's the main reason I want to go. I think the credits well, track of Force Awakens the, is the best part. Uh, yeah, I think they'll play the closing credits of the Force Awakens, but I don't even, I don't really remember the ending of the Batman, so I don't know if... But you know, maybe they thought like, eh, it's a credit we'll, suite. We'll get it out of there. It's where all the orchestra music is. It's a credit suite. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like they're playing pop songs on the credits. Yeah. Although they didn't play something in the way, which I thought was a little bit of a bummer too. Mm-hmm. But shall we return to Pixar? Yeah, I figured it'd be a nice place for me to put that before we talk about Day and Night. Okay, Day and Night. You hate this short, right? It's okay. It's a three out of five. I thought I hated it. I hadn't seen the short for like 10, 15 years. That's not true. This hasn't been out for 15 years. But for probably about 10 years. Mm. I think the yeah, animation I... is very 
What? I will go on, go on. The animation is very good. I think it's got a cool conceit to it. However, I think it simultaneously does hit the rare too preachy um, mark for me. And also, um, really does... Con- and I've mentioned this on the podcast before when we talked about his other film, uh, Boys Night Out, Teddy Newton's other short film we've talked about. Um, it very much contributes to the boys club idea of Pixar, where a lot of these jokes are like, hey, isn't it cool that these girls are like in bikinis? Or isn't it cool that they're in Vegas? And I'm just like, man... This is lame. And then you dare to end this with, like, some guy talking about, like, we really should admire each other's differences. Like, no fucking shit. This is about day and night. <laughs> yeah. But I do also think the character animation is really cool, and I love the sound design and how it's integrated into the animation. Mm-hmm. But it's like a mixed yeah. bag. There's Ultimately, we about... good on it. Mm-hmm. There's something about that end narration that I actually like because of the the tone of it it's not alan watts but it sounds like alan watts and there's another game called everywhere which is like an environment like explore the universe kind of thing and it has a lot of alan watts lecture narration over it and it was kind of nice just hearing something with that kind of aesthetic at the end of it that's something i appreciated it's like you're listening to some old lecture about I don't know. There's something about the historicalness of the tone of the recording at the end that makes it more appealing to me than just someone being preachy. Like, if the jackalope says, oh, well, we're all friends after all, and we don't need to hate each other, that kind of doesn't carry as much weight as some professor, like, mid-lecture or something like that. You can tell that I would be like swayed by Jordan Peterson clips, but I mean, like, hey, have fuck you him. seen this guy? Have you seen this guy? <laughs> He's like, you might have some cool ideas that you might be into. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's something there's something appealing about like a recorded lecture to me, um, and I also, you know what, I agree with the boys' clubbiness of it all. I I also just like get it for those two characters like it just just because it's like immediate and visceral that you're you're attracted to the women in the bikini and then he's immediately like let me show you this I've there are five of them and it's the same thing when he does like showing Vegas during the morning then going to Vegas at night I think that's it's like a natural progression of that idea that is satisfying to me that's my whole takeaway from day and night is that the whole thing i don't have as many gripes about it as something like presto because i mean maybe i maybe i just don't understand the rules as much but it just seems like it seems so divorced from how to measure normal interactions because they're just personifications of like it's that's the thing too is like you can't even talk about it because they're not actually like personifications of day and night they are like windows into the world and they're encountering each other and they show different times of the same world which is intriguing um, but I mean, it's not, they're actually not like, they are not really day and night themselves. Okay. But like, I'm at this thing where I'm, I'm just like, why, why does it matter? Like mm-hmm. the whole, I, agree I, I, I don't mind the beginning of it. I don't mind the gags of it. I don't mind me not knowing these characters, but the fact that the short takes the time to be like, wait, stop. This guy is saying something we need to listen to. And it's like, mm-hmm. I don't care and i don't think these characters should care other than oh my god there's a voice speaking we didn't know talking existed but that's not what it's about and that would honestly break the rules of the world even more if they went for a joke like that but i just don't get why they're so fascinated by it because the whole thing is like it's just like oh i guess we need to give this a lesson i'm like no you didn't you didn't need to give this a lesson this 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 was fine on its own Mm mm-hmm 
I want to ask you about that because now I'm trying not to break the rule that I set about not wanting to talk about other podcasts, but I was listening to another thing and they were complaining about how Pixar can be like so preachy and it seems like they set up easy, easy problems with easy answers. And I, again, this is like Ratatouille. I just kind of like the aesthetic of this short. But I, I do agree that the message is so preachy. But what do you, what do you feel about that as an overall assessment of Pixar? Because I feel like that's generally true. Like, good triumphs over evil. And you need to learn how to be friends with people. And that's kind of like what Pixar movies are about. Well, I think first off, are you, wait, are we keeping this a short? Or are we keeping this like their entire ethos? Their entire... Uh, well, I guess their entire ethos. I, I I think the shorts are generally like, you know, we did just watch Mater, so maybe this is how I feel only right now. The shorts seem like of wildly varying quality, and some are just lousy. And I think I think, I think besides something like Bow or something, the, most are pretty mid. Well, if we're talking about the overarching studio, I think the thing about you calling an animation studio preachy is, especially in America, is every animation studio is designed to target families and children, right? So you have to have some form of life lessons in there. I think, though, the key thing here that we're talking about is the difference between something being preachy and something having thematic resonance. Because I think every single good movie has something it's trying to teach you on some level. I think... It's pretty hard to find a movie that has absolutely nothing on its mind in that regard. The difference mm-hmm. between being preachy and being thematic is if a character outright comes... I don't even know. I don't even know if it is that. Because I'm thinking right now, and I know you're going to be mad I bring this up, but I think about like how I've been you know, watching the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. And like the first one, like it's very much like the message of this film is like, this is about how we find family in each other and how good it is to find family. It's like, okay, whatever. But then the second one and the third one kind of like have more complicated messages, but they also have points where characters outright say what the point of the movie is. <laughs> but it's like, well, it's more complicated, so that's why it's okay for us to have that there. And I feel like that's very true if some Pixar things, but when it's literally just, hey, it's day and night arguing with each other, and oh, I guess we have to explicitly put in the film that these characters are saying that, hey, we should really value each other's differences. Because we are as different as day and night. They don't actually say that in this, but that's basically the point that's been made. And it's just like, mm-hmm. you didn't, like, especially with their shorts, it's like, there doesn't need to be a bigger point to it. And that's why I like Cars 2 when we get to Cars 2, because Cars 2 is Pixar going, ah, shit, we gotta give this a point. Fuck it, we'll just have made it be like, he. it's okay to be yourself, even though that's not what the rest of this movie is about. Mm-hmm. That's what you like about Cars 2 is because it's so bald. It has no no point. It has literally no point to it. That's why I like it. But then it's also like, the point of this is that you shouldn't be mean to your friends even if your friends are dragging you down. Which is also just like a terrible message. So it's like, great, mm-hmm. I love that. Good. Yeah. <laughs> Can I ask you something unre- semi-related to... I don't even remember why I thought of this, but I think it's a question that you could answer... And maybe we can somehow relate it back to the shorts that we're talking about. But if you don't mind talking about your work, do you have an anti-bullying policy? Uh, like anywhere that works with kids, yes, we do. Okay. Or, well, <laughs> I'm kidding, okay. I was going to ask, like, what do you think of it? But then I was kind of like... I can't. Do you even be like, yeah, I wish you got rid of it. Uh, We should definitely have more bullying. No. (laughs) Well, I just, I think about, I I guess what I'm, what made me think of this talking about Pixar is that we know we're talking about movies that have lessons in them, right? So we, that some people think, unlike the makers of Bluey, that you have to explicitly say to kids, like, this is what the lesson is, and here is how you know, maybe maybe you should behave or something like that. I don't even think Bluey models behavior like that. Bluey is just very real. And I, I was just wondering about, if this, is some, this is something I was thinking about earlier, is like bullying policies. Because in my mind, 
because when I went to school, they didn't actually have these. But you know who's who's in who's really responsible for like teaching kids about life lessons because you can say that like oh you tell the teacher or your supervisor if someone's being mean to you and then they take care of it versus the school of well you should like learn to deal with problems on your own and that sort of thing. I wonder how you deal with uh, where, where, a question do you like think, that. Are you asking me what I personally think or what I think about how my work does it? I don't think you... Well, I don't think you can answer how, what you think about how your work does it, so I'm kind of realizing that maybe this question is nonsense. Um, <laughs> You're right to say that I do not... I don't think I, I'm, I can't answer about my work. Yeah, I, well, my that's, I mean, that's fine. I'm a very much... Um, well, it's all context, right? It's all like, what is the situation with the kid? I think... I don't know. I was yeah. going to be like, I think for my future kid, it will be blanket this. I'm like, well, that's not true because it's always more complicated than like a blanket scenario. Of, like, But I also, I think of my coworkers, I'm definitely the one that most subscribes to like the belief of tough love on the kids, mm. you know? Like very much like a, okay. Like, you know, I've said this to you before. Like I'm the one who makes jokes like where I'm like a little bit mean to them, but I like, because I want them, like, you know, I want them to like, I don't, how am I putting this? I prefer having the age with the kids where I can be a little rude to them and they can be a little rude back to me because I think it's important to learn that. And maybe that's like a bad lesson to teach kids to their parents, but it's also like, I don't know. Interesting. I have no perspective on this. I don't fall into any particular thing because I agree with you that it's kind of all context dependent. I was just thinking about this earlier today, and then we brought up movies teaching lessons, and then I was like, oh, maybe Danny has experience teaching lessons, and this is how he does it in the real well, world, I when think he doesn't about, have a narrative to hang things on. I think one thing I do, because I'll bring this up now, and I think I might have mentioned to you before, but you've seen Encanto, right? I assume yeah. everyone here has seen Encanto. That's me talking to listeners. I assume everyone has seen Encanto. Um... I had this, so I gave Encanto on Letterboxd a three and a half, and since then it's kind of like grown off me. I don't hate it, but I think it's just okay. But I will always like rant at the kids about how I, if they ask me what I think of it, I'll be like, oh, I hate it. And I give this reason why. It's one of the few, because normally when people go like, I don't like this kid's movie because it's not appropriate, I'm always like, okay, whatever. But with Encanto, I do it, because I do think Encanto is the rare recent Disney movie to have an absolutely like terrible accidental message in it, which is that, you, uh, you know, at the end, it's like Bruno, like, you know, has been kicked out of the family. And then he comes mm-hmm. back at the end. And during the song, he gives a huge apology to everyone about why he left. And everyone's like, okay, you can come back. And I'm like, no, that's ridiculous. And I, I say this because I'm like, I think that movie's ridiculous because Bruno apologizes at the end to everyone. And no one apologizes to him except for the main character. And I think that is bogus, and I think the movie teaches that, I think that's a terrible lesson to teach you, that you can be a total jerk to someone in your family for years, and then when they come back, they gotta apologize for walking out on you. I think that, and I've told the kids, I'm like, I do not think Encanto's <laughs> a good movie. And I've given that exact reason why. Yeah, I, I agree with that. So, oh, so you were saying. Well, no, it's just like, you know, um, you're saying, like, looking at movies and how they teach it, it's like, the movie's, like, speaking of Encanto specifically, it's, like, the message... There's this whole thing right now where I, I actually got an argument with a co-worker about... An annoying one, not the annoying one I've talked about before. There's an annoying co-worker I have who's older than me who said she doesn't like Star Wars. <laughs> That's not why she's annoying, but her reason why she doesn't like it is bad. Which is that she doesn't like Return of the Jedi because... Darth Vader gets redeemed just because he did a nice thing once, even though he was terrible and killed children. My whole thing there is like, okay, but in Return of the Jedi, when you see that when it first came out, he hadn't killed, like, no one knew, like, everyone just knew he betrayed the Jedi. No one knew he killed an entire temple of kids. That's not Mm -hmm. Return of the Jedi's problem. That's a problem with Revenge of the Sith if you want to have an issue with that. You can't prescribe. It's like the people who go like, I don't like Return of the Jedi now because they didn't even really kill the Emperor. I'm like, well, that's stupid. You should just ignore Episode 9 happened like everyone who's sane does. Um, (laughs) I think, too, that, I mean, I don't know if... Does he, like... uh, Well, I guess he does come back as a Force ghost, but I feel like that ending is just he wants to look at his kid and try to be less of a monster 
and then you kind of see him as this sad old man and then he dies like especially in the earlier versions when they didn't have Hayden Christensen as the force ghost I feel like it's more complicated than that he's just fully redeemed or whatever you know I think it's all comes down also this media literacy thing. And this is where I would like tangent to talking about a reaction when I saw Guardians 3 this week that got me really mad, but I think it's still too recent for me to spoil Guardians 3 on this podcast, so I won't. Um Maybe 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 I shouldn't open it up to this big thing, but I think a big problem right now in talking about movies and art is that people are looking for morality and easy moral lessons where you have to spell something out, but then you get something where it's like, everyone should always forgive their family for anything bad they do, like Encanto does. And I've heard that same complaint given to, like, Coco, where it's like, everyone should forgive their family for it, and it's like, I don't... It's a move... I think it's okay for movies to kind of expect... Maybe it's not. You know what I mean? Like, I think it's interesting because we looked at kids' movies... And Pixar movies and the Disney movies for like a blanket statement on society and our lives. But the fact is, is that everyone's life is going to be different. So you can't find like, you know, you can't look at a movie like Coco where it's like, you don't ever turn your back on family. It's like, okay, but what if your family's abuse? And I'm like, okay, but that's not what this movie's about. Right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that, and like, and it's yeah. something where you can't really like be like, every movie is going to be resonant to everyone because of this. And, I don't, and it's, I don't know. It's a weird big well, thing. Well, I think... There is there is something there and I don't want to I don't want to back away from it because I think you're right there is like this academic media literacy thing that's important but it's also like if movies work a certain way then that's kind of how they work So in Kanto in the last song of the movie all of you Mirabelle sings about like how we need to rebuild the home blah 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 and then the grandma apologizes to her saying I I'm sorry I held on too tight. Just so afraid I lose you too. The miracle's not so magical you got. The miracle is you. Get it? Aw, oh, so nice. But she's saying that to Mirabelle. She's not saying that to Bruno. Later on in the song, Bruno goes, yeah, I've got more. He apologizes. Do you remember Bruno? Like, he only apologizes to his sister for ruining the wedding, which wasn't his fault. Anyway, he has prophecies that the movie implies he cannot keep to himself. Right? Like, that is what the movie implies. They just kind of says them, because that's his gift. And then they're like, mm-hmm. hey, we're just happy you're he- you're back here, okay? And that's... And it's like, come back into the light, we're gonna all reunite and find our way. And it's like, I think this is bogus. He shouldn't have had to apologize. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, and he... Ne- yeah. More importantly, the grandma doesn't apologize to him, when it's the grandma who really kicked him out. Yeah. Anyway, back to Turning Red, and what you were saying about Turning Red. I think... I've seen that for Turning Red, and I've seen that for a movie that we've compared it before on this podcast, and I'm sure we'll compare it to it whenever we do our Turning Red episode. I've seen it with everything ever all at once, where people have been like, well, it's kind of bogus to have this, like, fantasy thing where the mom does forgive the daughter, and it comes out and it's like, no, but that's a movie! Like, you know, like, it's a movie that's supposed to make you hope that this could possibly happen with your family, and if it doesn't, in some other universe it could, right? And maybe that's depressing in its own way, but I think, I look at these things where people are like, and maybe it's me talking about... That's actually not depressing. That's one of the best takes, I think, about how to interpret these movies, but go on. Well, I think that... Think of with everything I roll at once, a turning red, and with Coco and Encanto, and, and I also, with... I also think that we're, we're, like, talking about a lot of movies that center, like, non-white people, and I think that... Maybe we're kind of falling into a trap of being like, well, you know, I you can, can also like center this, even though I can it's also like, center. If you would like me to, Guardians of the Galaxy two, which focuses on Chris Pratt. Yeah, let's well, let's use let's let's use Chris Pratt, who is the whitest man. <laughs> well, I think Guardians two. And there's this great video essay that I'm sure I've recommended to you before. I'm sure you've watched by Lindsay Ellis, where it talks about how that movie's about abuse, because it is very much what that movie's about. But that entire franchise is about, like, moving on from, like, abusive parents and finding family, right? And I know I say right as in, as if you've seen these movies, when I know you haven't seen the third one, obviously, and I know you don't like the other two. But, like... I have seen them, though. I don't think... Did you... I didn't know you finished the second one. I thought you gave up on the second one before the end. Well, I don't really remember either one of them, but I feel like I've seen them both. 
Well, you I message you were we were talking about for some reason Endgame before this, and I definitely saw all of Endgame and remember like none of it. Well, that's different. The Endgame. <laughs> I saw this really good tweet earlier this week where it was like the main villain of the Guardians of the Galaxy trilogy is Avengers: Infinity War, just because, and it's like basically just because the third one, the first two stand on their own, and then the third one's like, ah, shit, we gotta deal with this Gamora stuff. We gotta mm-hmm. deal with this stuff that's left over from that movie, and you can tell the movie's just kind of like. Uh, we gotta make lemons out of le- lemonade out of le- these lemons or something, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, my whole th- I want to sorry. I, maybe I can talk about Guardians and real, but I do think it's all this collective thing where it's like, what was I saying? Because you said let's talk about Chris Pratt, and I lost my train of thought, which is fine. It's valid. I kind of invited it. Um, we should but- talk about Chris Pratt. I guess I'm saying that all of these movies, even though you would like them to be about specific things. And you, you put it so beautifully. You see a movie, do something, and you hope that it could be true in another universe. I just don't think people interact with movies like that. I think that it is, it is, al- it is already a generalization. And I think it's something where, for me, I can watch... Actually, you know what? I can make this about Guardians, too. And talk... Because this is what I was going to say, is like... I don't know my coworker's life, right? I don't know what her life was like before that. Even if she doesn't always meet some other stuff, I can't really like be like, how dare you be mad at this movie for trying to redeem an abusive dad, right? Because I look at Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and I find that to be a beautiful movie about how a guy looks at his abusive father and realizes that he was in a weird way trying hard. <laughs> and, even, and he still loves him despite all the issues that came with it. And it's this very complicated... Like, that's why I like Guardians 2. It's because it's such a complicated movie for an MCU movie and for a blockbuster in general that it's, like, about basically the protagonist coming to terms with, like, one, he never thought he had a real father. And then the person who was his father figure was very, like, abusive and neglective of him, but he still loved him in his own way. And I think it's really interesting to also compare that, you know, and I, this isn't a Marvel podcast, so I don't want to be like, and you compare this to Infinity War and how Thanos works and how Gamora's like, absolutely not. That's not how my father is. Um, but anyway, I think it's this big complicated thing where I'm watching a movie like Gardens 2 from a perspective where my parents were good. Like, you know, I didn't have issues with my, my father or my mother. Mm-hmm. And it's this place of privilege where it's like, I can watch this movie and find it beautiful that there's redemption found here. But also recognize that, like, I do not actually have this experience with it. And I can point to, say, like, Lindsay Ellis' essay or other people who've written about Guardians 2 who have had these experiences. I mean, like, I found this movie really powerful. But I also can't, like, acknowledge that this movie is, like, universally going to speak to people who have had abusive parents. And the same way. And I say, look at that same way with everything ever all at once. There's this really beautiful essay I remember reading around the time. Oscar ceremonies. There's this Oscar pundit who sometimes, you know, how Twitter added that for you thing where it's like we're all like we're not gonna click it, but then since the defaults there, we inherently end up reading some of it anyway. Mm-hmm. And it keeps giving me this by this um, trans writer for I think uh, next picture show, next best picture, not best, next picture shows a movie. Next best picture is like an Oscar pundit site um, called Zoe. I think her name is Zoe Rose Bryant, and she wrote this beautiful essay about how she came out trans to her mom and how everything ever all at once kind of helped her cope with that in a way and how her mom responded in a way she never expected her to. Um, mm-hmm. And I look at that and it's like, at the end of the end of the essay, she's like, now my mom and I aren't speaking terms. And she's this a couple weeks ago, I came back from Christmas and for the first time ever, I got a letter that was addressed to me from her, from like to Zoe. Cause earlier she'd just been putting two Z cause my dead name started with Z too. And I was like, Oh, that's really beautiful. But it's also like something where it's like your mom eventually got to the place Evelyn did in this. And there are other people in the world, you know, who like might watch everything everyone wants resonate with that story. And it, you know, it's like, well, my, my parents still disowned me, you know, I don't know. It's this big thing where it's like, you, you expect you, you inherently when people respond to art, they're going to bring themselves to it. And we, I think nowadays people kind of expect there to be a universality to anything. I don't know if that's really the point you were making or I was making, but I think that's where I was trying to get to originally from my, my coworker doesn't like Return of the Jedi because of this. <laughs> I think that. Yeah, I think I yeah, I think that I approached this question in a stupid way, and you did not, and you've convinced me that media literacy is important. I think it's important, but I also 
And maybe I can tell you after what the Guardians 3 thing was, because it is a spoiler. Because that was something where it was very much like, that is actually like media literacy is dead. But in this case, it's like, you know, things go viral always. Where it's like, this person's interpretation of the movie. And it's like, how dare they have this interpretation? But in reality, it's like, I might be annoyed with my coworker, but I really shouldn't be annoyed with her for, like, not liking Return of the Jedi. Because it exonerates Darth Vader, when she might have a very valid reason for not liking that, you know? Maybe I mean, I'm too busy. That. I don't know all the details. Maybe both things can be true. I also I also think that this is maybe like the bikini women in Day and Night, where I'm just kind of like, you know what? I don't have a like. It's not something that I would do if I were making a movie, but I'm able to turn off my brain for it in Day and Night in a way that you very validly are like, what the fuck, Pixar? Like, why is this always a thing with you? And the thing is, so. I also still like it. Like, I still think the overall short, the good, outweighs the negative. Mm-hmm. It's just that the bad stuff is so clearly there. And I think yeah. up to this point, you know, you were talking about how you were listening to that whatever podcast was near, it's like, Pixar can be preachy. I think this is by far the most preachy thing we've seen on this show. Because the, the short outright stops. Just be like... We should really embrace each other's differences, right? And it's like, okay. It's like, that's not what this was really about up to this point. It was just about a cool, abstract concept of day and night interacting with each other. Yeah. Well, I think I, their argument was more about, like, the formulaicness of everything. And I think that Wally, for me, really broke that because Wally is so much. Um, well, I can't just say natural beauty because that is also ridiculous there's always natural beauty in a pixar movie well whatever i really liked wally and i am not here equipped to debate about this in it maybe the way that i would like to be um but yeah i think it's so about day and night though it is like right now i'm starting to see that really we are kind of getting codified pixar things you know and I thought this was a much earlier short, but it's just kind of a summation of the last, what is it, like a little more than 10 years now at this point. And it just has everything there. It has jazz. It has boys club. It has the other, what is the other thing you said? That Well, it has like preachiness. Yeah. It also has like American West in it and classical nostalgia it's like the most pixar short that we've ever watched but it happened you know 10 or 12 years into the existence of pixar i do enjoy it i'm starting to see the skeleton and the skeleton is freaking me out a little bit yeah i don't know it's one of those things where it's like it's had a lot to talk about but i don't I don't, like, you know, it's, it's, I don't, actually, you know, I do remember the other thing I wanted to say with this short. I do remember, um, mm-hmm. to completely shift gears on day and night, but this short, and I mentioned this of Up, I don't remember if I saw Up in 3D ever, but I do know I saw Toy Story 3 once in 3D, and this short in 3D was really cool, because <laughs> mm. it is very much just, like, literally, like, opening up the windows it's kind of like one thing i always say it's it's i remember when avatars re-release came out and also of course way of water one thing you can always notice if 3d is good or not it's like the subtitles because the subtitles in movies are rarely ever 3d so it's like okay so that's where like the starting point is of this depth so if it looks really 3d around the subtitles and you can tell like oh shit then this must be giving me a lot of depth because the subtitles are never like blurry right when you're watching a movie like this Mm mm-hmm so it's like, and I, I bring that up with Day and Night because, you know, Day and Night has this void, this black void that's always never going to be in 3D if you're watching it in mm-hmm. 3D. So it's like, yeah, I remember it looked really cool in 3D. That's all mm-hmm. I was going to say. It's like, this is a cool, this is Pixar really playing with what can 3D do. This and Up, I think, are the two best examples of it. Yeah. So. I also, I really appreciated the use of transitions I guess my thing about Day and Night is just if if everyone made it through our kind of rambly discussion about media literacy or whatever that was about and got to here, I would recommend just revisiting Day and Night 
and maybe watching it like two or three times to appreciate all of the different ways they all of the different transitions they have like obviously it's amazing when they're walking around and how they establish and then um expand on the locations in the characters bodies but i just i really appreciated that they have to cheat sometimes and make a transition over the entire black screen to reframe the characters but i didn't mind it very much so i just appreciated that yeah i mean it's nice i don't know mm-hmm. i don't know why that uh, yeah. that, uh, that discussion took the wind out of me i'm pretty tired now it did uh, that's my deal man i'm just like here's a question about something that i don't fully understand and didn't come equipped to talk about so i'm just gonna bounce it around our heads for a while until we get tired all right should, well, do you have anything that was like something that you knew you wanted to talk about, or should we call this episode? We can call the episode. It's fine. They got, they got okay. the listeners got something out of this. I think they're gonna walk. I mean, they're hopefully. gonna be like, I feel, like is, I feel like this is the kind of thing that we talk about every now and then, and I'm I'm always worried that we never actually like get anywhere with it. But I don't know. Maybe next time it comes up, I'll spoil Guardians Three. Ooh, maybe. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Next, Next time, time this somehow nasty comes up. But. All right. Before we do the next time, um, let's give these films something. Because right. we don't have, a, even though we don't have a guest, I should just say to people that a lot of film reviewers like to give films things like stars or thumbs up. We like to give the film a physical object, like an actual gift, or it can be a physical thing, it can be an experience, something like that. So, Danny, what do you want to give to these two shorts? Uh, well, Day and Night can get some, um, I don't know. Day and Night can get a long book of philosophy, because it's clearly interested in that more than its actual storytelling. Um, but I, I, I knew what I was going to give the Mater short. I actually knew very well. Uh, I'm just checking one thing really quick before I say it. Is in honor of Guardians 3, but also it was on my mind when we were arguing over what's tall, is there was a joke I remember during... Well, it wasn't even a joke. It's just a fact when you watch Tenet, when you watch Guardians of the Galaxy 3, is there's one actress who's working today who is incredibly tall. And I think Mater could learn some stuff from her. So I will give it Mater a date with Elizabeth DeBecky. Because <laughs> she's tall. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not we a date, got there, but a dinner at we? least. A dinner. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> they can get a dinner together. Yeah. Cool. There well... used to be a running joke in my with my friends um, when Tenet came out. It was like, we just someone would just talk about Elizabeth DeBecky and they just respond with, she is tall and nothing else. Just that she is... <laughs> She is very tall. Yeah. Um, let me think. I, well, speaking of Tenet, you know, <laughs> the only part that I like about Tenet is when the building blows up. And if you watch the clip out of context, it just sucks. So I guess I'm going to give both of, you know, I like these. I don't much care for Mater. But I guess I don't, like, wish it ill will. Like, if this was on Sunday morning on the background while I was playing with Legos, it wouldn't, like, annoy me. So I guess I don't wish them harm. So in order to prevent them from harm, I am going to put a spell on both of these shorts so that they never look up Building Explosion in Tenet on YouTube and watch it out of context because it ruined that moment for me, and uh, I wouldn't wish that on these shorts. Much like the so, plot of Nope, you're telling Mater don't look up. Yeah, another <laughs> gr- really great film. Truly, don't you know, look we've up. We never or talked nope. about. Don't we never talked up. about don't look up. But like that that film. Speaking of preachy films, that That's film is fascinating preachy, to me. What? That's an incredibly preachy film. I mean, it does. I here's my deal. 
I love the I love the last bit. Spoilers for Don't Look Up. Everyone dies. I think it is a good ending. I think the shot of them dying is pretty harrowing. So I actually appreciated that. Just like speaking of a movie that is super preachy, and I don't think like super. I don't love it, but it had a very good response from people. So much to think about. What are we doing next time? Next week is our year anniversary of doing this show. So to yeah, celebrate. Yeah, even though it's 51, it's the year anniversary because of that skipped week, which seems ridiculous now because we skipped it because we were like busy for Thanksgiving, but we've definitely been more busy while recording. What's funny these is also in retrospect, shorts. we should have skipped two weeks so that we would have been the 50th for the, the anniversary. In retrospect, uh, I mean, uh, I don't think. I don't think we should have even skipped because we just we need to get through these. All right, we're we're about to enter a dark time. We're about to go celebrate and go to Disney World Land Europe. I don't know. We're going everywhere. We're gonna talk about Pixar at the parks. We're gonna look at every single ride Pixar has. Maybe a couple restaurants. I didn't actually start working on. I, I know there are a couple restaurants there. We're not going to do research on the restaurants. We might just load up Pixar restaurants at parks during the episode and see what we come up with there. If we do that, mm-hmm. um, I hope yeah, we don't do talk, that. That would suck. To we're going to talk about but... every ride at Pixar at the parks. Besides, of course, Finding Nemo the musical. Because why would we do that? Mm-hmm. But yeah. yeah. All right. Looking for the ocean is produced by Mark Young and Danny Vincent. I'm not there. Hold on. The show okay. is edited by Mark Young. Our original <laughs> artwork was designed by Sarah Knopf. You can follow us on social media at Facebook at Looking for the Ocean, Instagram at Looking for the Ocean Pod, and Twitter at Pixar Journey. And on our website, Looking for the Ocean Pixar.podbean.com. Why do we have two ands in that? We gotta rewrite that to remove the second and. What do you mean? What? I say and, and Twitter and I, on our website. I don't- <laughs> oh, be- I think because you added on our website, I definitely didn't. I didn't. I write didn't. And on our website at follow us on social media. At- you know what you did? You got rid of the you, you got rid of the thing because it was it was gonna end with me saying you can follow me, Mark Young. That's oh, what happened. Oh, that's yeah. what's happened. Okay. Well, you can follow me on markyoungperformer.com. It also has my socials. I might be doing some stuff pretty soon, so there will be that up on there and everywhere. You can follow me. At Blankman's on Letterbox. I just watched Guardians of the Galaxy 3. I say just, but this episode will come out two weeks after it. I wrote a review. It's probably pretty good. Listen to my other podcast is not below. We talk about movies that have the most Oscar noms and no ones. We'll see you in the next episode!